0: grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, a church that exists to help people just like you. Find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in a series called Peace in an Anxious World and with Anxiety Sometimes Comes with Loneliness When It Shuts You Down, but doesn't have to. Pastor Sean says, loneliness is a choice. So what if instead you choose to do life with others in community? It will change your perspective and lead you closer to peace. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. But if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. Today it's part one of the message called Anxious and Alone. Pastor Sean is starting off in John chapter 14. It's time for Reaching for Real Life.
1: Now we are in the middle of a series called Peace in an Anxious World. Peace in an Anxious World, and we've been talking about the almost epidemic spread of anxiety. Anxiety, depression. We even, as we've walked through this, we looked at a book by J.P. Moreland where he talked about his journey with actual clinical anxiety and what he experienced and some very powerful tools to help people. If you have struggled with anxiety, you've been diagnosed with an unusual level of anxiety, I encourage you to go back and look at some of the previous messages because we address that. We talked about that, and we said, you're not alone. You're not alone. In fact, anxiety is one of those things we've seen increase exponentially in recent years. I think there's a lot of factors that contribute to that, and we've talked about some of those. But the fact is, we can't pretend that it's not real and that it's not happening. And we looked at some different factors, and, and Dr. Moreland's book, which is called Finding Peace, we have some copies actually in the resource center there, uh, and you can get it on Amazon. It just came out, actually, this last week. You can, uh, you can check that out because there's some very, very helpful information on that. One of the things that we've seen, okay, last week we talked about fear, and we said it's hard to find peace when you're enslaved by fear. We just addressed that idea, and we, our challenge was say no to fear, that we actually can say no to fear. And as I've read through different articles and Dr. Moreland's book and some other resources that I've looked at, and as we've had this conversation, one thing has kept coming up when it comes to anxiety and even depression. And they're connected and seems to always go together. And that thing is called isolation. I remember a time when I was really tempted with anxiety, and I felt anxious. It was early on when we were just beginning the ministry, and God had asked us to do some things. I've told you this story before, but God asked us to do some things that were very unconventional, just other people didn't understand. And, and he asked us to do it in ways, to start the ministry in ways that, that, that just people who were in our lives and other ministries that I was connected with, they just didn't understand. We talked about some ministry principles God taught us. that almost tied our hands, forcing us to trust him instead of conventional frameworks and mechanisms to launch a ministry. And a lot of people didn't understand. one of the things that Lori and I identified is we felt very much alone. We would talk about what we do. I told you there was a a realtor who who was talking about what I do for a living as far as part of the whole process. He's a minister, sort of. A minister, sort of. Now, I still get that a lot. But I'm just saying it's one of those things where you're like, that was kind of how everybody looked at what we were doing. It, It was just this thing. We were starting, and what was it going to look like? We couldn't tell people exactly. It was called Real Life Ministries, and it was just very lonely. We weren't able to, we, we were making no money. we were having to just do whatever work we could on the side to try to help support and try to get this thing going, and it was just the thing that we felt was isolated. Nobody seemed to really understand. There were good people around us. They cared about us. They're praying for us, but as far as identifying and walking with us, it was a very limited group of people, and just weren't many around and I remember when we met Willie and Rachel Mayfield met through Youth for Christ we were doing some work with Youth for Christ and I met Willie through that and we started connecting and the four of us started getting together and I remember when we shared with them what God was asking us to do we shared with them about real life ministries and they said wow God's been saying some of those things to us we want to be a part of that and we just started walking together very little changed as far as circumstances. In fact, almost nothing changed as far as the circumstances, as far as as still lacking some clarity, as far as being called to do some very unconventional things. Those things didn't change, but we felt completely different because we weren't alone. Not long after that, I was leading worship at a church, and Joe and Debbie Williman, Bruce and Deborah Witter, and some others began to be a part of what we're doing, and a couple of singles, and Mike and Kim Beckham, some friends of ours, became a part. And We had this little small group of people that was meeting in our home on Sunday nights. Again, still weren't getting paid for what we were doing. Still, financially, things were very difficult. We weren't sure how we were going to make ends meet. All the questions were still there. The circumstances didn't change much. But that group of people, it went from being, for Lori and I, one of the loneliest and most anxious times of our lives to being a time that we look back and say, Those were some of the best years of our lives. That small group of people meeting in our home, that was the group that became River City Community Church. Yeah. And and I just have to tell you, it, it, it was so different because we weren't alone anymore. We had just friends. We had people to walk through life with. And the circumstances didn't necessarily change, but the concern, the anxiety, the fear did because we weren't isolated anymore. Most everything I've read on anxiety also touches on this common issue of isolation. Micah Abraham is the editor for CalmClinic.com. It's a mental health group. And he wrote this in an article. The article says, I just need some time alone. This is one of the most common phrases that those with anxiety say when they experience severe anxiety or stress. It can also be one of the most incorrect statements about how to deal with anxiety. Anxiety. Taking time to rest and recover is important. However, isolation, loneliness, and simply not conversing with others can have a profoundly negative emotional impact in a way that few people even realize. Feeling lonely and isolating yourself from the world can be both a cause and a symptom of anxiety. Some people experience anxiety because they feel incredibly isolated. Others feel they need to be alone to reduce their anxiety. His point is that one of the most pressing and counterproductive instincts of anxiety is isolation. And he creates, kind of presents this interesting, which came first, chicken or the egg? Is it, is it Does my anxiety fuel my isolation and my loneliness? Or does my isolation fuel my anxiety? And the answer in multiple studies is just simply yes. Yes, they tend to go hand in hand. And the problem is when we become anxious, and in a world where low-grade anxiety is affecting almost everyone, and different levels of anxiety affect all of us at one time or another in our lives, this instinct to say, i got to pull back and isolate is exactly the wrong instinct. It's counterproductive. (coughs) Now, the question that I want to ask is, why do we feel isolated? Because, I mean, according to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, I've got all kinds of friends. I mean, I'm loaded with friends. I collect friends. Look at their heads. I have pictures of their heads. They're just beautiful friends. I mean, in a day and age where we literally count friends and we have little meters to see how many friends we have, why do we feel so isolated? I think there are a number of contributing causes or culprits to it. I think the first is, is core and it's fundamental. It's a breakdown of the family. The breakdown of the family has, has impacted people at an unbelievably deep level. Broken homes. Less family connection and identity. Less generational care. Used to be grandparents were just naturally a part of the family and were helped to care for by the family. Not so much anymore. Now we sub that out to the professionals. And it changes our, our sense of connection and identity. It creates isolation, the breakdown of the family. Another culprit is a change in the nature of employment used to be people would stay for years at a company. Well, there's less tendency of that. More people in self-employment, more people in virtual offices. In fact, Psychology Today had a whole series of articles on the, the effect of unemployment on anxiety. And it wasn't just, I don't have a job and I'm worried about the finances. One of the big things was many people found themselves cut off from a major source of relational connection. Their work relationships were kind of their network. And those are the people they saw every day. Those are the people they interacted with. So not only did they lose their source of income, but they lost their connections and their people that they spoke with and just the human interaction that they enjoyed every day at work. And isolation was one of the big issues. I think another culprit is how we spend our time leisure time or our entertainment used to be everything you'd have to go out to if you'll go to a movie we'd go out together and we'd go out and we're connecting with other people at the movie theater we'd we'd go out we'd play putt golf we'd do these different things and it was always together well with the the development of the home theater system with online streaming services think of how much of our entertainment now is at home alone or with just us think of how many people go oh man i gotta go home i got i gotta spend this weekend catching up on my show Not catching up with my friends, but catching up with my show. It's like, no, no, don't worry. I can catch up with my friends on Facebook while I'm watching the show. It's beautiful. It's like the perfect system. I feel so connected and so alone. It's funny, even when we are together, another culprit is our tech. And we talked about this. We've touched on this. But think of of how much our tech isolates us. If you have ever been through a restaurant and watched a family at a table and seen all of them looking at the screen? And nobody talking to one another, it's like, oh, that's just heartwarming. <laughs> Where's Norman Rockwell when you need him? You know? <laughs> I mean, think about screens. How much of our lives are looking at screens? Family sitting watching TV, everybody looking at screens. At work, we're looking at screens. In my entertainment, I'm looking at screens. I find myself looking at screens all the time. Screens can't have a relationship with you. Screens can't listen to you. Screens can't show empathy. In fact, a screen can become the view of isolation if we're not careful. And what I want to suggest to you, and the Bible's real clear on this, isolation is not how God made us. And there's a reason as isolation increases, that anxiety increases. And I want to look at that connection.
0: And let's take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported radio ministry of River City Community Church in this message called Anxious and Alone. The series is called Peace in an Anxious World, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue to help others just like you, you can find that gift tab at reallife.org. And if you're looking for a new church home, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean.
1: River City Community Church is a church for real life. Real life is what we were created for, and it's what we're all about. Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Azar, and we believe that we were made to live a life full of meaning and passion that can only be found in relationship with our Creator. That's what real life really is. It's not just a church thing. It's a way of living that powerfully impacts your home, work, and social world. That's why River City has a relaxed, casual feel where we enjoy practical teaching, inspirational music, and age-appropriate discovery for the whole family. And beginning January 6th, we're starting a brand new Monday night service at 7 p.m. Everything you enjoy about Sundays is coming to Monday. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Rotama Park. Our service times are Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15 and now Mondays at 7 p.m. River City is a church for real life. Our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out everything you need to know, stop by our website at reallife.org. We hope to see you on the road to real life.
0: And now back to the message, Anxious and Alone. This is Reaching for Real Life.
1: Isolation is not, it's contrary to how God made us. We aren't made to be alone. We are made for community. I love this psalm. This is one of the psalms of ascent. They would, they would sing and chant these psalms to one another as they were going up to Jerusalem. And literally as there's an altitude increase, they're going up to Jerusalem. And they would chant these psalms of ascent talking about their community, talking about the worship of God as they prepared for the festivals and the celebrations. And Psalm 133, 1 through 3 is one of these psalms of ascent. It says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Let me read that again. Behold how good and pleasant it is, and look at these words, when brothers dwell in unity. Here's how he describes it. He says, it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. And if you're just looking at that and have no background or understand what that's talking about, it's like, that's kind of weird. No, until you've tried it, just go home and get some oil and just peanut oil. Dump it right on your head. Oh, it's so refreshing. That's not what it's talking about. We know Aaron was Moses' brother. He became the high priest, the the father of the priestly line. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down the collar of his robes. This is a quote from the book of Leviticus. It's Leviticus chapter 8, verse 12, and it's talking about the anointing. It's talking about God's presence dwelling there. His, His power, his presence, his consecration, his anointing. God blesses this. And that's what he says when brothers dwell in unity, it's like the oil of anointing running down Aaron's beard, collar, of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. You think of, this is a desert region, but the dew is refreshing, it's invigorating. Mount Hermon is this huge thing on the landscape of Israel. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there, Note the phrase, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Where? Zion? Yes, but also where brothers dwell in unity. Isn't that interesting? For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray for any who maybe are feeling anxious or feeling isolated or alone. I just ask that if anything from this morning, we would recognize and in fact be convicted of the fact that that's not how you made us and that's not what you have for us and that's not your will. So I just pray that you'd speak to us. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to hear your word and give us the courage to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I think there are three essential and comp- compelling aspects of this of this blessing. Remember what he said? He said, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. I want to look at those three words because each is significant. The key to this thing is brothers. And what that means and when you talk about brothers and sisters, you're talking about family, you're talking about people who are connected. The difference between just friends or people who we hang out with or acquaintances and brothers is that we are one, we are connected. And you go, Well, yeah, you don't know my brothers. I get it, but they're still our family. And that's what he's talking about. Those who we belong to something. We are a part of something. We're committed to one another. Doesn't mean we always agree. Doesn't mean things are always easy. Doesn't mean there are never any problems. But it just means, no, no, we're one. We're committed. We're connected. How good it is and pleasant when brothers dwell in unity second word is dwell. It's interesting. It's not when they visit. It's not where they stop by, do the swing by. He's talking about dwell. Uh, dwell speaks to a place where we live. It's where we spend time. See, when we're dwelling together, it's not just a visit. But it's this idea of doing life together. We use that phrase. Doing life together. We're a part of That's That's what happened with that little group of people who were meeting in our home. We began to do life together. It wasn't just a weekly meeting. It was these were our people. We became brothers and sisters in a very profound and unique way. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. That picture of unity, it's it's this idea of the same heart, the same vision. We're going the same direction. Think of this kind of picture or definition of community that he's painting. One people doing life together, following the same direction. We could say that from our perspective, following the same leader. We're going the same direction. We're following the same leader. And then remember what he said, For here, in that place where brothers live, they dwell in unity, the Lord has declared his blessing, life forevermore. we got to understand this is a core principle from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1 and then on in chapter 2, we see the creation of the world. You remember it would tell you on the first day God did this, on the second day God did this. And what he would say, when all was done, he would look back. Remember what he would say? It is good. He looked at it and said, it was good. It is good. And then, Genesis 2, 18, we read something. And I think the language is intentional. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It's fascinating the way God did this. In fact, he he has man... Kind of naming the animals and giving them names, and he notices them coming in pairs. There's there's he notices that among all the animals, there's male, female. And he also notices that it's like, wait a minute, there's one, two of them. There's one, two of them, there's one, two of them. And then he starts noticing, wait a minute, there's just one of me. One, two, one, two, one. Something's wrong. What's wrong with this picture? And, and he discovered what God was saying. It is not good for the man to be alone. And God created. From the man, his partner, his counterpart, woman, his wife. But this principle, when God proclaimed, had been proclaiming, it is good, it is good, and when he said, it is not good, it's not good for man to be alone. We were not created for isolation. We were made for relationships. I mean, from the beginning of time, the whole plan God did, he did it through a community, he did it through through a family, you have to understand that he has been building a family. He started with Abraham. He began and then with Isaac. God became known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob's sons became the heads of the tribes. This whole faith of ours comes and emerges from a family. Look what Ephesians 1.5 says. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. He has been building a family. Look at how the first church interacted, Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. I want you to make note of that word, fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Look at this verse. All the believers were together and had everything in common. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That's how you know you're together. It's one thing for us all to say, hey, we want to be a member, or we all carry the card, or we all remember the kind of company pledge, whatever it is. When we start sharing our stuff, then we know, okay, now we're together. You know, When we start saying, oh, okay, we're going to share this, we're going to share that, and it's kind of, hey, what's mine is yours, yours and mine. John Burke, in his book, Unshockable Love, refers to it as refrigerator rights. When people have refrigerator rights at your house, it seems like lots of people feel they have refrigerator rights at my house, but that's, an, that's another. I'm not complaining. I'm just, and I don't know most of them. That's what's weird. That's, that's, that's odd. But when people are sharing their stuff, it's like, okay, that's a new level of brothers dwelling in unity. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And look at this, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Do you know why? Do you know why the Lord added numbers daily? Well, you're like, well, that was God's plan. Yes, that's true. But there's something about their fellowship that was compelling. Do you realize when people go and they see a group of people who love each other and who treat each other like family, who care for each other, who share with one another, there's something in their heart that says, I want some of that. I was created for that. They may not even be able to articulate that, but they know that, man, this isolation, this dog-eat-dog, this hatred, this animosity, this anger, that is not what we were created for. So when they see it, they're drawn to it. All the believers were together and had everything in common. See, you and I were created to be part of a relational community, a family. And that is God's vision for the church. That is God's vision for the church. And I know that word has been so distorted because so many people think they know what church is about. Oh, I've been to church. I don't need any more church. That's the last thing. I need. You want to go to church with me? Yeah, <laughs> I will go to the dentist with you and have a root canal. I'll do that. I don't want to go to church. I mean, seriously, there's a lot of people who think that. And, and I am, I am, it grieves my heart because I believe in the church as God envisioned it, as God intended it. It's supposed to be this beautiful relational community that loves each other, that's literally a city on the hill. Jesus described it. It's, it's, it's a beacon to the world, supposed to be, a beacon of the world of what God created us for. A community that loves him passionately. That's where our unity comes from. But loves one another completely. That's the intention. That's what he created the church to be. A family. And the fact that in many areas, in many ways, we failed does not take in any way away from God's ideal. Look at how he speaks of the church. Although I hope to come to you soon, Paul is writing to Timothy. I'm writing these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. That's what the church is supposed to be, God's household. Now, I've told you before, people come in and they come to know Christ, they want forgiveness of sins, they want relationship with God, and they go, oh, I want the Father, but I don't want the brothers and sisters. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, that's not how family works sorry you want the father you get the brothers and sisters and and please understand i am not proposing that any church anywhere on the face of the planet has is full of perfect people because there just are no perfect people we are all sinners who've been forgiven and loved by a perfect creator that's who we are there are no perfect people it's just the truth but there are places where in his spirit we've committed ourselves to loving one another and living like a family And I really believe that's God's vision.
0: That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, Peace in an Anxious World, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email that this program blessed you, or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Please find the Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church located on Lookout Road, right next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Reaching for Real Life is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life.